0: come to you in peace. We've landed here in Topanga Canyon. Uh, It's not on fire. Ojai is surrounded by flames. I have friends in Ojai. It's a beautiful place. Hope they're all right. Uh, This episode is with Micah Springer. Uh, She is an author and I believe a yoga entrepreneur. I think she mentioned she has a bunch of yoga studios in the Denver area. So if you are a flexible person living in the Denver area, you may know Micah. In any case, uh, this is one of these episodes where someone who listens to the podcast wrote to me and said, I think you should meet my friend Micah. She just wrote a book about her experiences and Africa and then I corresponded with Micah a little bit and sounded really interesting and she was going to be in LA for some stuff and uh, so we she came by and we chatted so join us won't you Uh, her experiences are fascinating it's something I've thought a lot about actually um, both from a professional and a personal perspective it's largely about um, the experience of of connecting with someone from a different world. uh, Which is sort of just an amplification of what happens every time you connect with anyone, because we all live in our own worlds. Um, But when you have a connection, you have a cross-cultural or a trans-cultural relationship with somebody, a lot of things become very clear because they're so amplified, things that you might not notice or you might not think about when you're with someone from your own culture. Um, I've had three, probably, I would say three major relationships in my life. Uh, The first was with a woman who was Puerto Rican, born in the South Bronx in New York, Um, no money, welfare, foster Um, care when she was growing up abusive parents uh, you know just difficult situations totally different world than my white upper middle class suburban white boy caddying at the country club for spending money on the weekends kind of existence Uh, the second woman was Uh, French, Spanish, a woman I met in Barcelona who came with me and lived with me in San Francisco for a while when I was in grad school. Um, She spoke English very well, but again, very different culture. She was also 11 years younger than me, so there was like a generational distance as well. Um, And then the third woman is Casilda, who, as you probably know if you listen to this, is Born and raised in Mozambique, uh, Civil War, uh, Indian, Hindu, Muslim, mixed family. Um, You know, then in Portugal, medical school, I mean, like totally different world. So my own experience has been that, you know... um, yeah, you know, I was gonna say I don't know if it's because I was living in foreign countries, that's just where I happened to meet these women. Um, but the first woman was in the US, and that was another world within the US. But I think it's it's also I'm attracted to that. I like that difference. I like bridging a wide chasm with someone. I I like the exoticism, I like the, <clears throat> the challenges. It gets frustrating sometimes, you know. I'll make a joke and Cass- Cassie won't get it. Because she doesn't know what I'm talking about. I see some of them, Mr. Rogers. She doesn't have any fucking clue who Mr. Rogers was, you know. Um, or if I'm with somebody now as I get older, I see him with somebody who's just 30 years younger than me. They don't have any fucking clue who Mr. Rogers is either. They're from another world, even though it's the same culture. But it's a different world. It's a different time. So... I think um this Micah's story is very interesting. She's uh she her book is about when she was young and she and a friend <clears throat> went to Africa and had a bunch of adventures, spent a year there, and she met and um fell in love with uh a guy a Maasai um herdsman who took her back to his village. So very interesting, very uh wide chasm to uh to try to to reach across to find that other person um yeah so uh what's going on i took a walk today with simon rex really cool guy uh we're going to i'd like to have him at, like as a co-host sometimes when when we have a when a good opportunity arises and he's in town i'll I'll invite him on as a co-host he's so smart and so quick and uh really brings brings an angle to things that wouldn't occur to me but anyway we were talking we were up walking and uh he's 40 something i think early 40s we we're just talking about the experience of getting older and and i realized that i I've, I've been feeling kind of melancholy for not, not in a not in a sad way just like there's a certain sort of haze of nostalgia that um, I've noticed in recent years and the other day I was watching something on TV it was where it was a, a documentary or something and there was some footage from the Merv Griffin show now most of you won't know what that is but uh, it's the Merv Griffin show and I forget who was on or maybe it was Dick Cavett It was a talk show from the 70s and there were three or four people, you know, on the sofa. One of those old style talk shows where when the guest is finished with their bit, they just move over on the sofa and, you know, they all hang out. And. um, And everybody was dead, like everybody's dead. The show itself is dead. The host is dead. All those guests are dead. The cameraman's probably dead. The director's probably dead. The sound guy's probably dead. The entire fucking, it's like a bomb went off. They're all dead. And uh, and it, it sort of occurred to me that as you get older, your life becomes haunted. Um, because these people are in your consciousness. Now, you know, I don't think about Dick Cavett very often, but David Bowie? Prince these are people you know they're my age, or they would be if they weren't dead um and you just so it's it's an interesting thing because and i am not trying to be morose or anything, but um it's just an interesting thing that I didn't anticipate when I was young i I didn't think about the fact that The old people who were dying when I was a kid, I didn't know who the fuck they were. So it didn't matter to me. You know, James Dean. Who the fuck was James Dean? I didn't really know. You know, so when like, you know, um, you know, when Elvis died, I didn't give a shit. I didn't know who Elvis was. You know, I had a vague sense. He was some singer. who was big in the 50s. You know, whatever. I don't care. So it didn't affect me. There was no impact. And, uh, but as you get older, your world, your community starts to have a lot more dead people in it. And that, that, uh, I guess if you're paying attention, what it does is it increases the sense, which is a sense I've always had pretty strongly that none of this shit matters, it doesn't fucking matter and you know the the culture we live in is trying to tell us all we're going to live forever it's a joke it's ridiculous and so you know I guess you sort of have to choose your allegiance is it going to be to the truth or is it going to be to the message of your culture And if it's to the message of your culture, you're going to have a problem because the older you get, the more obvious it's going to become that the team you're on is the team that's going to lose. So I think it's a smart move to sort of declare your allegiance to the truth as early as you possibly can because you don't want to have the sunken cost, you know, where you end up sticking with it just because you've been with it so long and it's too late to change now. Speaking of changing, I think I mentioned uh, in a previous intro that I was planning to go to Peru. I've changed my mind on that after looking into it a little bit. It's rainy season in Peru in January. I thought that meant just in the jungle, but it's actually the whole country. So up in the mountains, it's all muddy, and the trails are closed, and roads are landslides and shit, and that. I'm not up for that. So um, I'm not going to do that. But Casilda is now in uh, – she's gone from one center to another. She did a dieta, which is um, sort of an isolation thing where you're 10 days by yourself and – um. um and working with various different uh healers and shamans and now she's been invited to go to another center um who's I guess I shouldn't say the name I don't want to contaminate anything or change anything but she's uh she's been invited to a center with a very well-known uh highly respected shaman and she's going to be volunteering there and helping people with their experiences. And uh, she's really excited about that. Starts tomorrow. So she'll be there at least a month and uh, playing it by ear. But it's just wonderful seeing how she flew to Peru with some vague sense of what she wanted to do. And it's like the road opens up for her. And you know, I was thinking about how so many of us spend so much time standing around waiting to find the path, the path forward, the path that we're going to take. And we stand there and we look and we look and we look and and it just doesn't appear and we get more and more frustrated and we start to lose our energy and we get tired and we feel defeated. and, And the thing is, The path appears when you take a step. We've got it backwards. We're waiting to see the path before we start walking down it. But in fact, you need to stop, start walking before you'll see the path. That's what's happened for her. She went down there. She met someone. He actually, uh, Lee, Uh, who listens to this podcast he heard me say she was going he sent an email she followed up that led to one thing this led to another thing turns out another friend of mine was down there and he introduced her to this guy another and things just started coming together and now here she is she's about to be working with this very interesting powerful shaman for the next month at least and who knows where that's going to lead So my point is, you know, it's like that poem I I talked about that I heard the author uh, read or recite many, many years ago in uh, 1982 or whenever it was. uh, Leap out into the air to begin with, you'll find wings you never knew. That's what's happened. She took the leap and now she's soaring. Beautiful to see. All right, I'm going to play you out right now with a cover of the Beatles song Nowhere Man that's by a very interesting American guitarist named Bill Frisell. He does something. I first heard Bill Frisell because my buddy Mark, who I think I've told the story on the podcast, I met him in Israel at the MDMA conference, the the ecstasy conference at the Dead Sea Hyatt, in nineteen ninety nine, I think it was, and he sent me all this music, and he just revolutionized my my understanding of music. And uh, in a bunch of the stuff he sent me was um, a bunch of CDs by Bill Frisell. He he plays guitar in a way that's almost like I don't know. It's like the sonic equivalent of Picasso or something. He picks. He he sees the essence and. And it it gets transmogrified through his vision and his personality, I don't know. And it comes out in a way that's totally different, but you see exactly what it is. It's it's recognizable and yet totally unique as well. So this is Bill Frisell playing Nowhere Man. Uh, I recorded this off... uh, the YouTube off um, what's it called Tiny Desk Ta- Tiny Desk Concerts. It's an NPR thing. They have there's a uh, YouTube channel. They have lots of interesting musicians who go to this little office and record stuff there. So uh, you can check it out at uh, Tiny Desk Concerts, the NPR series. Bill Frisell, Nowhere Man. Take care, everybody. <laughs> Sitting here in my living room with Micah Springer, who is author of a book called "Keepers, Keepers of the Story." That's it. Which you so t- tell me the story. What what story are they keeping?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? Because there's actually several. Um, although I did capitalize the in the title um, oh, because the story. that's it. Mm. Um, because it felt like. If you follow any good story far enough back or far enough through, it somehow leads to something very universal. And right. that's the story, I guess I would say. Um, this particular tangent is uh, a trip that I took in 1993, backpacking with my best friend through Africa, no itinerary No internet, cell phones, no connection for
0: a year. 93. So this is, I mean, the internet was just sort of starting in 93. For
1: governments.
0: Yeah, yeah. And how old were you in 93?
1: 21, just turning.
0: 21. So you and a friend decide we're going to go backpacking in Africa. Had you been to Africa before? No. (laughs) All right. First
1: trip on the continent.
0: First trip. Had you traveled
1: before? uh minimally really um let's see switzerland uh mexico canada a couple of places in europe new york i mean that was it all
0: right so this was your first major like absolutely other leap off
1: the other yeah
0: and why africa
1: i say in the book because i was seeking some wildness in me Mm. or in the world that didn't less stricture more um, freedom and for some reason this romanticized and, and also true version of Africa stuck in my mind and I felt like the wide open savannas the Um, different cultures. My girlfriend that traveled with me, Koss, she's a um, cultural anthropology major. So she was studying that, I was studying political science and um, international affairs and we had to kind of choose a a place in the world and I spoke French and everything just seemed to say, well let's go see West Africa then and then Mm. that turned into, let's traverse across the continent sub-Saharan style.
0: Ah, so that wasn't the plan initially.
1: We didn't really have a plan. It was definitely an unplanned plan. The only thing we had, because we felt so tethered to communication and the ability to reach out to our friends or have them, you know, we had no idea what we were doing. And so, post restante, do you remember that? Sure. So we used post-restant, and we had like, I think, five um, countries that we had set up. And so it would be like, look, from January to March, send it to Senegal. Here you're gonna. Know, you know, we just kind of so we should the-
0: tell these young people listening to this who have no idea what Post Restaurant right, was. Okay. So like you, you would tell your friends, write to me at Post Restaurant, New Delhi.
1: That's
2: it.
0: I'll be there in March. Yes. And they, they
1: save it for you. And
0: they they hold it and then you go in and there's a big box and sometimes you go through it right. alphabetically and find your own letters right. or sometimes they'll do it for you. But it was just like a general stash for yeah. mail that people were going to come pick up. And
1: you could charter a trip by it, really. And
0: woe to you if you change your plans.
1: <laughs> I know. Well, and it really keeps you a little bit on course because you're desperate for that communication. Oh,
0: I remember. I remember writing an, uh, a letter to my girlfriend in like January and saying, you know, write back to me in New Delhi. I'll be there right. in March. Yeah. And thinking it'll take a month to yeah. to get to her. Yeah. Give her a week or two to write back, and then it'll take a month to get back. Right. And I would look. I would look forward to getting to New Delhi to yeah. find that letter. Yeah. And oh my God, if it wasn't there, it was a heartbreak.
1: And the wide open. You really could get lost. Then.
2: Hmm. It's yeah. very
1: hard to get lost now. Yeah. And then it was like. We're unreachable, we're actually unreachable. Yeah. And the faith that my parents and her parents and our friends and the faith that we had and, um, and the stupidity, you know, that just that naivete that propels you yeah. into these deep unknowns um, yeah. that if you make it out, yield everything.
0: Which you almost always do.
1: I think so, I mean, I do. I have, Right. you have.
0: Right, we're sitting here. We're sitting here. <laughs> we're the survivors <laughs> but I mean yeah you hear about things going wrong but I one of the things I learned in traveling the, the way you did is just how overblown fears are mm-hmm. you know that all this sort of demonizing of
1: everywhere of
0: everywhere except yeah. exactly where you are Oh, right here is right. where you need to be because right here is the best right. And and I'm Oh, actually, just before you got here, I was editing this book I'm writing, and I'm making the same argument about temporal time, Mm -hmm. that we demonize the past, because, oh my God, oh, it was so terrible. We're so lucky to be alive now with our dentists and our, you know, catheters and our fucking... It's like, wait a minute, they didn't need dentists and catheters, and they were fine. Right. Anyway, I don't want to get off into all that, but... Yeah, you you go out there in this place that, that you've been told is so dangerous and you're going to be so vulnerable and oh, you won't be able to call anyone. And what you find normally is you don't need to call anyone because the people are really cool and they take care of you.
1: And people really did. I think something about being two women, young, uh, very open and open eyed. And we were taken care of a lot. We also ran into some really harrowing stuff, too. And, mm. and the balance between the two was pretty precious. Um, and then it, 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 the story winds through. It's actually the book is partitioned into three main sections. Um, it starts with mind, because we landed with all of those preconceptions about mm. what Africa meant.
0: Your baggage.
1: Yeah, and you're yeah. just full of... Of fear and the intellect, and you're processing through um, such deep old filter, and it keeps you very mental. So it was hard to immerse. Yeah. You know, even though we were, we were, we were, it was very difficult to let go on that level, and then
0: you don't even know what it is you're trying to let go of.
1: No, you have no idea. You're just running from something. I mean, yeah. literally, we were kind of running from one potentially terrible situation to another um made up in our minds in africa in africa right that's kind of was propelling us forward for about three months i Mm. would say and then um, we meet these nomadic peoples and that section of the book is body because i fall madly in love with this pastoral warrior Mm. and they're present tense people and they literally don't use future and past
0: linguistically.
1: Linguistically. Interesting. And it's oral. There's nothing written.
0: So who who are these people?
1: These right? are the um, they are the Samburu people in northern Kenya. Mm. So they they actually were Maasai right. and then when the um, the British came in, they wanted the fertile lands near and surrounding Nairobi, which means in 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 Maasai language um, the cold dry place, Nairobi. Mm. And, um, but it was really fertile and very green. And so the colonizers wanted that. It was also the capital. So then they pushed the Maasai into two sections. And the Maasai that we know them as are all south and in Tanzania. And in the Samburu are far north.
0: Really? So they were split by colonialism? Yeah. Huh.
1: Yeah. Same language, um, same relative customs. I mean, certainly there's been shifts over the, the years, but... Um, but I think, you know, they really, when, when I was with them and we would run into Maasai, they would speak and, and, I mean, they have so much in common, that pastoral lifestyle.
0: So you're in Kenya already. You started in West Africa. We
1: started in West Africa. And so we, um, that's what I mean. Like we were literally kind of running from, but we didn't know what we were seeking, except for we did have this faint notion of the idyllic village structures that look different than anything we've seen, people who have customs that are different than anything we've ever experienced, and, and we just couldn't quite find them. We were, I mm. mean, relatively speaking, we were surrounded by people who had already really adopted Western culture and ideals. So in did terms you
0: started in Senegal? Of, yeah,
1: Senegal. Right. Landed in Dakar at around midnight.
0: Wow. And you ended up in Kenya going going overland. Yes. Oh, that's a overland, big trip. It's
1: a big trip. And then um, However, when we got to Cameroon, we were going to enter into Zaire, yeah. Congo um, But it was the rainy season and so we decided why don't we just skip that all together? We'll fly so we flew from Cameroon to Kenya and then we entered Zaire Um, from that side.
0: Wow. So you went from Senegal south along the coast and then flew across Africa?
1: Uh, No. So we went from, uh, let's see. So Senegal, Mali, Togo, Benin, Ghana, um, Nigeria, Cameroon. Oh
0: my God. So you were inland for a long time. We were inland. okay.
1: Yeah. And then um, once we got to the east coast, then we went to Uganda, Tanzania, and Zaire to see the mountain gorillas.
0: Right. And this was two years?
1: It was one year. Only one year? One year. Wow. Yeah, and 58 days with the nomads. And yet that is the crux of the story.
0: Right. So I interrupted you. You were... I just don't want to miss any of this I don't want to like just <laughs> jump you know we landed in Senegal then you know nine months later I was in love like wait a minute well, that's what it. happened and in those nine that, months right
1: that's it and it's really interesting because um, when I spoke with this was my first book and so i you know I consulted and I'd say look you know I, this is how I want to start the story I want to make it fairly chronological um, because I think that, lessening and relieving myself of that, of the the rigor of social conditioning needed to happen before I could even really see this man. He didn't, I couldn't, it was sort of like the step in consciousness that it re- required just to see him um, needed to be broken down in those previous months. But mm. a lot of the consultation was, no, we want to get to the village. We're Americans. Just give us the, you know, right. get rich quick. We want we want right. that experience. I was like, I don't think so. Yeah. Even if it doesn't do very well. Right. This is the story. And this and, is and, what has and to this happen. This is the
0: process, yeah. This is exactly, the process. Right. Um, yeah. It's like people want to study martial arts, they don't they don't want to learn how to just fall first.
3: Right.
0: You know? It's yeah, like, yeah, come yeah, on, yeah. You gotta yeah, work yeah. your way up to that.
3: Right.
0: So so let's work our way up a little bit um i i remember when i first went to india have you been to india yeah yeah so i i think india and africa are similar in in the sense that they're so different yeah um that that you have to go through this process of arrival that happens very gradually and for me i i flew from new york to india and I was there for a month before I arrived. Yeah. And I remember the day I arrived. Mm. I can remember where I was. I'll never forget it. Mm. I remember the instant that I was like, oh, I uh, I get it. Yeah. Like, I, now I see why this makes sense. Yeah. You know, I. It, there was just a and and it was like a birthing process mm-hmm. it was really uncomfortable i fucking hated everything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then one day it was like oh f- i'm here somehow like my brain and my body were back in phase or something and
1: it's interesting you say that because um even though now i have the awareness of what it takes and and how difficult the travel is just to even get to this my nomadic family's village, um, which is now more sedentarized because of the climate situation. So they'll mm. kind of follow and remain near um, watering holes and wells. And right. um, the first three days, because I continue to see them just about once a year, um, the first three days that I arrive, I'm, the mirror is so big about, oh, look at, look at me, my Western self. Mm. I'm so heady and I try to make small talk mm. with nomads like who does that right, <laughs> you know, right. I'm like hey, hey how
3: about when this was, weather yeah,
1: exactly when,
3: <laughs> when, was that,
1: when was that baby goat born yeah and they're just like don't, you know haven't you learned Micah we don't even discuss when
3: yeah the, right. the
1: concept of this time thing right and so it it does it takes me about three days and then by day three I feel like oh I've arrived and I'm here again and we can really relate.
0: So even having been through the process so many times... Every time. It's still something you have to... Yeah. ...work your way back toward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. There's some... There's some, like, poetic justice in that whole thing that you have to work for that different way of existing in the world. Yeah. Because it truly is very different. You know, the... The, the thinking pattern... I'm, have you read... Um, the Alphabet Versus
0: the Goddess? Oh, no, I haven't, it? but but that author's daughter is a friend of my sister's. Oh,
1: cool, okay.
0: And he went to the same graduate school I went to. He taught, or he taught at the graduate school. Oh, but wow, cool. He died, with, what was his name?
1: I can't actually remember, um, but I do know that I, he...
0: I think I have the book around here somewhere, yeah. but I haven't read it yet.
1: But it's that but, whole thing yeah. of how our brain shifts yeah. when we start reading and writing. And yeah. we lose access to some really valuable way of being and and still Jensen intact. Derek Jensen
0: writes about that as well. The, the, I think he's an anar- anarchist. Uh, mm. um, about how symbolic thought was the first step of pulling us. Or symbolic representation, I guess, mm. more than thought. You know, letters and, and yeah. numbers and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, uh, have you read, um, since we're going to go off on a book tangent for a second, uh, Don't Sleep There Are Snakes?
1: No, but I like that title, oh, it's, that's it's great.
0: great. It's, about an, uh, it's written by a linguist um, who lived with uh, the Pinaha people in the Amazon, mm. who sound similar yeah. in some ways to the people you were with. They weren't pastoralists, they're hunter-gatherers. Yeah. And uh he lived with them for thirty years or something. Wow. But they also don't have future or past tense. And they their number system is one, two, three, many.
1: Oh that's great. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And they have no color words.
1: Oh yeah. So everything's
0: associative. It's the color of that river in the morning. It's the color of the sky. Right.
1: And, contextual and
0: also no direction, no north south. Mm. It's always toward the river, away mm. from the river. Everything's, you know, relative yeah. to where they are. It's a very different way of thinking. Absolutely.
1: Well, in 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 Samburu, um, you don't actually have a word for think. Hmm. Isn't that great? Like hmm. I could never ask you, what are you thinking?
0: <laughs> so <laughs> right? what would you say? What's happening in your Head? No, do, do it, no. In like of head? I mean,
1: they, it's it's literally. Well, first of all, there's the. It's tribal, so. You don't actually want to know everything that somebody is thinking, <laughs> because you happen to live. Right. You know.
0: It's privacy. That's it. Your, your privacy
1: head. is really necessary to keep when you're always together. Yeah. And one of the ways they do that is an abundance of silence. hmm Um. What I found is that most things that were spoken were of the humorous sort. Mm. So they were playing all the time with a notion and then that would get developed and someone ate what, you know, they would take the thread up. It was just really a lovely way of, of being in the moment together. Um, but they, when they speak English, if they, you know, if they've gone to school and they've learned English or Kiswahili, they have borrowed... The word, the root word, fikirir, which means to think, Mm. from Swahili.
0: Right. So, did you speak English with them, or do you speak?
1: I learned, yes. So, I spoke um, Swahili. I speak a little bit, their language is called Gutuk. I speak enough Gutuk and can hear it really well. um, To start to hear the nuances, like for instance, in the morning, you might ask somebody, How was your sleep? Um, but the the literal translation is did you sleep with God Mm. did you sleep with the? you know was that where you were Um, and then one of the responses can actually address the sensation via smell it's my sleep smelled so sweetly Mm. yeah
0: that's interesting I never thought of sleep in terms of smell
1: right who would yeah. You're not aware of that, you know. But I don't know if it's just that um, that sense is highly developed, hmm. as are all of theirs. I'm not sure. I could never really understand. But the, when I put that two together, I asked. Then I asked, "Is that? Is he actually saying that his his sleep smelled sweet?" And they said, "Yeah, koropili."
0: Hmm. And I like the idea of sleeping with God because it. It gives um, it sort of lends a, a sacred feeling to oblivion.
1: Yeah, that's
0: it. Which is nice, right? You know. And where do we go? We see oblivion as this dark, empty enemy.
1: <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> we, we, yeah, we do. Yeah,
0: you know, I'm I'm repping white boy America <laughs> right, here,
1: right?
2: <laughs> as
0: I tend to do, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: um, yeah, but to to uh, to see oblivion as a as an ally or, or, you know, I was recently, uh, I was reading Mark Twain who who talked about how strange it is that everyone's afraid to die, but nobody talks about how horrible mm-hmm. it was before we were born. Mm-hmm. And it's the same place, mm-hmm. right? But nobody's like, nobody. oh my God, thank right. God I was born. Oh, it was horrible. There was fire and devils everywhere. Right. It's like, well, you know, right. that's a non-issue. Right. So why is it such a big deal yeah. when you return there, right. you know? Or
1: paraphrasing Rumi that says, you know, basically a very similar thing that we're, we are afraid to die, but those who are unborn are really afraid to incarnate. <laughs> With <laughs> reason. Know, their fear is yeah, greater.
0: <laughs> As they should be. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right, so enough books, enough talking about books, let's get back to experience. But before, I mean, I'm like champing at the bit here to pick your brain about life in the village, but I don't want to skip this journey. You mentioned you...
1: Yeah, the mind, it has to be undone, right? So it has to be reprogrammed, and so the the journey was... um,
0: And you said you had some harrowing experiences? Yeah, we,
1: we, just about every border was dangerous. Um, We'd be pulled aside, you know, come into this room, girls, um, bribe us, hold us, sometimes, well, in Zaire, there was a state of emergency declared, so... The U.S. had no representatives there, and had told everybody, "Get out! Do not come!" And, and we were kind of going in the back way to see the mountain gorillas anyway, because most people were going through Uganda. Mm-hmm. Um, but we met a, a guy who whose brother was a guide and mm. got us a you know a backstage pass basically to uh, scramble up those those volcanoes. Um, and and it was a hundred bucks. Sure. What I, w- I mean, I yes. would just pay that so many times over to
2: yeah.
1: have that experience again. Um, we ended up uh, swimming in uh, Lake Utran, which is a salt water lake and full of crocodiles, so we didn't know that. Um, so we were almost eaten by crocodiles once
0: you were just like let's go for a swim (laughs) it's hot
1: right really yes (laughs) why isn't anyone else doing this
0: (laughs) silly Africans
1: exactly (laughs) and it was so it's a great part in the book actually because we were invited to a wedding um, of pastoral peoples and so we weren't sure how much of that translates you know is there a is there a wedding and then a reception? Is there a ceremony? Like what, what? 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 What should we do in the meantime while it seemed like we were just waiting indefinitely? You know, mm. we were hanging out on hot rocks basically. And Cas, my friend, says, "Let's get in," and I say, "That's yeah. Like, who cares?" So we go around the corner where nobody can see us from the village, oh. and we're thrashing about and having a great time. And
0: oh, splashing! Oh my God! Splashing! Worst and, thing you can do. Right?
1: Of course. And and suddenly the village has come to us and we're new in Kenya at this point we've probably been there about 20 days maybe Um, and so Swahili we hadn't learned yet Swahili and and they're they're yelling at us in Swahili and we think oh they're just trying to get us out they just want to see like white girl bodies
0: because oh, you're skinny dipping. We're skinny dipping. Right, of course. Taking
1: all of our clothes off. And so...
0: Oh, my God. You're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die from your, like...
1: <laughs> hubris.
2: Like this thing, hubris like they think and, we're like, gonna...
0: anti-nudity oh, and, right. and vanity. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> it's like all the worst things are just going to... Totally. Oh, no. It was no. perfect.
1: And then in, a, in literally a, a... You know, I love language, so... I'm trying to, as a form of curiosity. How
0: far from the shore are you?
1: We're about maybe 12 feet out, 15 feet—not mm. much, but enough that we could dunk under, come back and up. Could you
0: see the alarm on their faces that they not weren't just first, laughing? Because hey,
1: they're African. Uh, I
0: mean, really,
1: they have a different sense of urgency and, right. of, you know, and they're relying on like us somehow having some wits. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Bad move, Right? Which they Bad shouldn't assumption. have. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And so then I hear the words mamba. And for a moment I think, mamba, did I learn that yet? And then it just comes back to me that in Nairobi we had gone out to have a beer and I had asked, what's mamba mean? And the waiter said, it's that verdant, scaly crocodile wrapped around your beer bottle. Oh, a crocodile, cool, mamba crocodile, okay Store it
0: Saved by the beer That's it Wow
1: And then it turned out there were three And they were, their bulbous eyes were resting on the surface of the, And they were coming in And they were probably They were probably 15 feet from us, maybe 20 And, and all of a sudden I was like Oh, and maybe one has already dove down
0: you saw them when you were still in the water. Yes. Oh.
1: Turn saw the eyes. Clawed ourselves onto the rocks. No, no longer um, worried about nudity. Yeah. Something yeah. else took precedence. So, um, yeah, that was that was a good story. And then, then we were in the throes of a tribal dance for two days after that. In the heat, hungry because the calories are, you know, really different. We were pretty much existing for a lot of that time on black tea and camel's milk and heaps of sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, yeah, we had uh, some border issues. We, we were shot at. That episode doesn't actually appear in the book, but we were in Cameroon hitchhiking and we were shot at. Oh, in Uganda, we decided, um, let's just hitchhike through this large, open space and... Nary a car, you know, ever passed us. And there were few cars anyway. And then suddenly there was one car. And he pulled over urgently and said, get in. And we had our backpacks. And and we said, well, no, we're we're walking. We're having a good time. And he said, no, you don't understand. You're walking through a national park. And there are no fences. Right. And there are lions and cheetahs and leopards and, you know, everything. And so there were just things that we did. I, I just look back and think the limits that you can see from your conditioning and your experience thus far and not really wanting to be so damn savvy anymore just wanting to have an experience but then throwing yourself into situations that were really um, what could have been close calls but like you say we're sitting here so
0: but do you have children? no I often think if I had a a child how excruciating it would be to see him or her decide to live the kind of life that I've lived
1: right totally I know I ask my parents all the time how could you what were you thinking a full year nobody on the continent that we knew you couldn't get in touch with us but every like three months It was nuts. Well, they they couldn't
0: stop you, though.
1: No. Well, and they they really didn't want to. Yeah. Because don't we all... You know, there's something so compelling for humans that leap out of conditioning, out of stagnation, out of I'm no longer living, into the abyss or the unknown or the oblivion. and, And... I think that we all get excited to hear about that even if we don't want to to experience it ourselves or haven't yet mustered the ignorance or the courage or whatever it takes a, a good blend of both really I
0: like that, muster the ignorance Yeah. I'm trying to muster the ignorance I know, I
1: just got to forget everything <laughs> I've ever read and get back to ignorance <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've never had trouble mustering <laughs> ignorance for some reason <laughs> that seems to come easy yeah yeah well some of those I mean it's strange in a way where you know we're celebrating ignorance you know where I I did equally stupid things I jumped in when you're talking about the crocodiles I, I think of Pushkar India this beautiful place where I was for six weeks or so it's in the desert in Rajasthan it's surrounding this lake and Oh, it's just beautiful place, really. And there are ghats, and pilgrims come from all over India. It's mm. a holy center, mm. and at sunset, you know, you'll hear the cowbells mm. of the sadhus as they lead the mm. pilgrims down mm. to the water, and it's, you hear peacocks calling, and you can see the, the, hand, the lanterns they hold in their hands as they go down to the water, reflected. It. It's just magical, magical spot. And one day I decided to, it was hot, and I decided to go for a swim, and nobody swims in the lake. And I'm diving, and I'm swimming around, and you can see the Indian people looking at me like, what, this is crazy, you know, tourist. And it didn't occur to me until weeks later that all the sewage from that town... <laughs> Just goes straight into that lake, I mean it just runs right I mean, you can see it's open gutters, right, and everybody's right, shitting everywhere right. and it's like
1: <laughs> you're in there with your bar of soap.
0: I didn't even have a bar, so I'm just I'm just you know doing the backstroke in the sewer, <laughs> you know? and how I didn't get uh-huh. some horrible parasite and die, I right. don't know, but
1: well, I have a great story about that though, and nomads and their mindset uh-huh. because I came with my overeducated self and it was a very hot day and there was a trickle of a river. It used to be bigger, but um, they were experiencing no rain and, and so um, my friends said, we're going to get in the water and I'm looking at this thing and it's like stagnant, it's green, stuff's Agreed. growing there it's not good it, no the sewage is you know definitely running from the town into it and, and so i think oh this is the perfect opportunity for me to use my education to illuminate for these uneducated people that this water probably isn't the best for us to swim in no salt you know it's fresh water and everything <clears throat> and so i <laughs> They're stripping down, and a couple of them are already in the water, and I'm telling them, you know. Now there's this thing, it's called bilharzia, or schistosomiasis. They'll crawl into your penis, and then they lay eggs, and and so I'm terrifying them, basically. And they're just looking at me um, with such stillness and such compassion, actually. And then at the very end, one in particular turns to me and he says, we don't have that belief, and gets all the way in. Mm. And it was one of those moments where I went, belief, man, that is, it's a magical, magical thing. And when you harness it, it's pretty interesting what magic can happen.
0: Yeah, it won't save you from worms, though.
1: But you know what, Chris, here's the thing, them, Mm -hmm. it might, not you and I. Because, I swear, we don't know how to get to that level of continuity and... And, I mean, okay, look, there are people in Africa that have worms and die Mm, of worms.
0: Millions of them. Yes. But
1: there are also a lot of people who are drinking that water, playing in that water, doing whatever in that water. And... for, For shepherding people, water is so incredibly divine. And the sacredness around it even if it's a, well if it's a trickle to them it's like well that's mm. that's a gush actually because we usually have to dig
0: yeah yeah and th- there's also the question of if there's no other option Right, if, if they right. Don't what are you going to change? If you can't change or, something, right. you're going
1: to change your belief around it.
0: If you're dying of thirst, you're going to drink whatever water you find. That's it. And if somebody comes along and says, well, that's not the ideal right, water. Right, right, like, right. Yeah, but you know what? It's the only water. That's it. And your belief system is going to develop around what's possible.
1: Yeah. And I do yeah. feel like there's some form of benevolent protection in that, um, and that by, that might be like way too esoteric or mystic or whatever. But it just feels like something's working in a way. I don't know if you've noticed, um, if you've done any research on. They'll take Westerners who have compromised digestive systems, bring us into um places that we would say oh my goodness like you know oh, yeah. how do those people live and but suddenly the proflora within 3 days mm. is
0: and often the parasites
1: And the parasites, right. And everything, something kind of works out together where it's like, oh, we've created an an equilibrium again. There's so much we don't know.
0: Yeah, I actually, I've had two people on the podcast who directly address that. One is a doctor who uh, works in helminth therapy. Hmm. So he intentionally gives people uh, hookworms. Okay. Um, And the, the hypothesis is that the immune system, our immune system evolved in symbiosis with parasites, and so it's, there's like a, um, a balance of power, right? And then when you remove all the parasites, the immune system has nothing to do and it often turns against the host. Oh,
2: fascinating. And so auto,
0: wow. a lot of autoimmune disorders just seem to respond very well to the introduction of parasites.
1: Interesting. Because
0: it distracts the immune system right. from attacking your body yep. back to doing what it was designed to do. Right. And then the other guy I had on uh, works with a fecal transplant. Yeah, sure. Which is the whole yeah. you know, microbiome, addresses that very, very quickly and, and with amazing results. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, every time I come back, I feel healthier.
0: You know, every time I travel, I feel healthier. I, I mean, really, travel in Asia yeah, or, sure. you know, not in Switzerland Vegas. or Spain.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> I have a friend
0: who told told me this story. He he uh, took too much GHB. Do you want know to? Yeah,
1: is? it's the. Um, is it a, a transmitter or an amino acid? What is that?
0: It's a. I'm not sure what it would qualify as. It, it, it exists in the body, but it's a drug that okay. people use. It's unfortunately, it's used often as a date rape drug because if it can like if you have a high dose, you can lose consciousness and you don't have memory of what happens. And um, it is something that should never be mixed with alcohol. Mm. And he didn't know that. And he ended up taking somebody, gave him some. And I don't know, whatever. He like was in a coma, was vomiting, you know, was in an ambulance. He wakes up, he's in Miami. Miami. He'd been in a club. Wakes up in uh, intensive care. um, Catheters and you know all this ambulance ride and and they say, "Don't you know where you are?" And he says, "Vegas." (laughs) (laughs) That's
3: funny. This is normal.
0: (laughs) He said all the nurses and doctors cracked up. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) <laughs> anytime, uh-huh. anytime you wake up in a hospital room and they ask if you know where you are, just right. say Vegas. Vegas, it could yeah. be, you never know.
1: Right, odds are good. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: uh-huh. yeah, no, I, I agree. I, in fact, the first time I was in India, I, I thought like, you know, what a great way to make money. I'm terrible at business, but I thought, oh, I could like set up like a, a weight loss program. Like, just get a bunch of Americans, like, bring them to India. You know? <laughs> oh, you're going to lose weight. Trust right. me. <laughs> you're going to be shitting and puking. You are going to lose <laughs> weight. But no, you're right. It's, it's, you're, you, it feels like your guts are being recolonized by healthy stuff. And I can just feel the way my body processes energy is yeah. different. And And the mind, you know,
1: I love the fact that there's that relationship. I mean, my background is is yoga for 20 some years now. Mm. And so the the experience of science, I'm sorry, did I say science? Experience of silence on my system Mm. versus all the noise. Yeah. Is so drastically different, and uh-huh. when when I one of the things that happens in those three days when I show up and I try to make small talk, it's probably it's probably me creating a diversion because what they generally do is my mother, um, who I would call my mother there, is a witch doctor. She is mm. the witch doctor of witch doctors, and so she does a quick assessment uh, that's more telepathic than anything, and then gives me a particular herb, and it doesn't seem to matter which herb she gives me, I end up spending one day shitting myself to death in the desert. And then they're so sweet, because they, they, they always pretend that they're giving me my privacy, but there is no privacy. And so that someone is always watching me from afar to make sure, and it's generally one of my brothers or cousins or whatever, and they're just making sure that I don't get eaten by a wild animal mm. while I'm so compromised. Um and then I feel, you know, bright-eyed and ready to go after that. Mm. And it's slightly different each time. She just kind of assesses.
0: It's like you have to purge a little bit, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, we're definitely in a I mean, comparatively in a state of accumulation and I mean, even unwittingly, like I don't I actually don't try to keep bringing stuff in, but stuff somehow comes in.
0: Yeah sticks to you like burrs
1: yeah
0: yeah Mm -hmm. so how much how much of your time do you spend in Africa these days
1: no not like that it's more like go to see them I would like to do more but um, I'm really committed to the community that I've helped build and participate in um, with the yoga studio and so I probably go once a year and like the next trip is is going to be july august and i'm i'm bringing people over but i never take them to the village because i did try that and massive things lost in translation like for instance um you can't run at 6 a.m. here you'll be hunted and then you know you have these these uh competitive, uh, adrenaline-addicted athletes, and they just cannot start their day without like going for this massive, so we'd see there, you know, the warriors would track there and come back and tell me, Micah, you know, another American girl was running down the, and right next to her were hyena prints, and, and it was just like, God, this this liability, why am I doing this to myself? So now I bring people, but we pretty much stay. Um, we'll do like the luxury safari, you know, four days, some kind of tented experience, um, and then hit the coast, Indian Ocean. Um, this time we're going to see the the uh, elephant orphanage um, just outside of Nairobi, so that'll be really fun. And then I'll go to the village and hang out there for three, four,
0: hmm.
1: five weeks, whatever oh,
0: nice. works. Well, that's great. That's you get a to good spend immersion. That much time.
1: Yeah. Well, my my father... This is interesting because when I saw Stephen Jenkinson just recently... Oh, in, that's
0: right. You were just at Sparkroot yeah, Farm. And yeah, and it was
1: really cool. It was... Mm. God, I haven't... I didn't realize until he brought it to my attention how much I was relying on the fact that they've become my elders, that that those nomads, even my brothers there are so um, generous and wise with their insight and their care that I just look up to them like I'm a child every time and they're teaching me mm. their ways of the world. And, and I really love that. And so when I come home, it feels like, well, there is a deficiency we can we could really stand because his particular talk was on elderhood. Um, But the reason I brought that up is because my father there, I call him um, hes they don't keep age, but they keep age set. So they kind of know, like, this group of boys were born within five to ten years of each other, then they're circumcised. And and so um, he's the last of his age set now by about 15 years. So he's in his hundreds. Wow. And... He is that man, you know, that elder, elder. In fact, if I were really of the tribe, I would call him a kuya now because um, our relationship keeps expanding sort of in generations, um, just in in experience. Mm. So he's like a great, great grandfather.
0: Yeah, it's a shame that that's something we've lost. It's, it's so sad to see how old people are worthless in this society.
1: Yeah. Right. And how then we become so fearful of becoming old because yeah. we see what we, how we treat right. our old. Yeah. Um, and one of Jenkinson's statements was, never before have we had this many old people on the planet because of the baby boomers and, and life expectancy and... <clears throat> And yet, never before have we had such a deficiency in elderhood.
0: Mm. It's ironic.
1: Yeah. Something definitely to... to work with. He tells this great metaphor um, that also applies to the nomads, which is... um, often at the deathbeds that he was tending to in the palliative um, care industry. They would ask him and I think this is all metaphor of course but I think that they, they would ask him um, when's a good time to plant a tree and what he realized they were asking was actually how can I have a tree and the symbolism in that is that a tree if we use them the way that we generally have, they're places of shelter that we sit under for reflection and contemplation, and basically a gleaning wisdom, um, because we're just quiet enough to observe the space around us enough. And, And if we haven't grown up in a wisdom culture, then we want that tree, you know, but, but he, would, he would often say to them, well, the time for you to plant a tree was 25 years ago. Because you're, it's too late for you. However, for posterity's sake, you know, you could plant a tree because someone, maybe, will sit under it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of, um, what is it, Vipassana. Meditation. Do you ever do one of those retreats?
1: I am so chicken. Yeah. Yeah. Really? I, don't, I mean, I know to, I've done three days, but You're I've never done the ten a, days with alligators or yeah.
0: I guess the crocodiles. No, but can't, I, sit still, right? can't
1: sit still, right? sit
0: still. No, shut honestly, up for ten days. Honestly.
1: <laughs> I'm. I've been working my way out of, and this is no. This is not like a judgment. It just feels like okay to balance a little bit um, out of male lineage practices because mm-hmm. I was raised on them with yoga, and mm-hmm. you know my first teacher was Bikram, and um, and so I've been. I'm a meditator. I mm-hmm. meditate daily, right. but it has to have. It has to have more of a feminine fluidity to it, Mm. if that makes sense.
0: Well, the aspect of it I was reminded of, which is a very, it's sort of not about the meditation, but I like the way uh, they handle the money, which is that you, when you finish the experience,
1: donate if you'd like
0: to to pay for someone else, your time there was a gift from a previous uh, person. Yeah. I like that. Pay it forward kind of mentality, yeah. and if you can't afford it, well, you just accept the gift, and right. and your time was free, right. and, you know. It's uh, there's something beautiful about that. So, which the story you're telling about the tree, like you can't, and also you don't really want to plant the tree for yourself. That's not right. the point. You're right. sitting under a tree that someone else planted, right. thinking of you. That's it's, it. There's this. It's almost. I get that feeling with literature sometimes.
1: Oh, God, yeah. You
0: know, right. it's like this. they wrote the book. Walt Whitman even talks about that explicitly in some hmm. of his poems. He's like, he says, there's a book, poem called Crossing Brooklyn Ferry that I love so oh, much, yeah. you know, where he says, you there. I know you yeah. see the sun half an hour high I know you see the, the, the waves scuttling on the harbor the same way that I did right. like he he's somehow transports himself into the future yeah. and speaks directly to, to readers it's it's, an,
1: it's very generous isn't it I mean true yeah. generosity of spirit just to see the interconnectedness and to serve that
0: yeah yeah it's, it's fascinating so um, uh, let's uh, let's address the elephant in the room here. <laughs> so how do you how how does one fall in love with a person from a world so distant? It's, I I remember being in Nepal and seeing these Tibetan women, and to me, there's there's some. And it, it's not just them. I mean, women all over the world. I, I would see them and just like fall in love with mm. them. Just they're so beautiful. These, especially Tibetan. There's something about Tibetan mm. women that really gets me. Mm. The, their the strength, the the dignity, the the broad foreheads and the the wind burning. Wind chat, totally. The, yeah, yeah, the cheeks <laughs> and the laughter and the strong teeth and. There's just something about those women that has always, like, really attracted me. And, but I would see them, and they'd smile at me, and they'd flirt with me, and, you know, and I would just, it would be like I was looking across the Grand Canyon at someone on the South Rim. Right. And it's like, I, <laughs> I see you over there, but I have no idea how to get there. I could, you know.
1: Well, probably part of it's really unfair, isn't it? Masculine, feminine, because mm. we were approached...
0: Of course. More often. Sure. Yeah.
1: And so the bridge was already, you know, it was like, look, we just laid this out for you and you can yeah. walk across it. Um, there was that for certain because there was lots of opportunity. But
0: an African sexuality tends to be far more relaxed and casual. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And 20 year old sexuality. Yeah. You know, they were. <laughs> we, were so we were on the same.
0: <laughs> same way. way, way, way. Um,
1: yeah. But. But the truth is that since that experience with him, um, and I, I call him my lover in the book, he remains unnamed, but since that experience with him, I've had lots of opportunity but really no desire each time I go back um, because they're they're just not him. And there are these nuances, even though they're of the tribe and and these people share such amazing collective qualities um the nuances are where the destiny must be because that relationship was really just perfect in all of its um challenge as well for what i needed to learn most in the world and and also to see that that um version i guess of or maybe it's the it's the source of masculinity, Um, has been something I've been playing with ever since.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: Mm -hmm. There's this one instance. So I grew up with an alcoholic father and you want as a young girl so badly to just, you know, take the substance away. Just, can I just have the purity that is my dad? because when he's sober, this is, you know, we have such a closeness, but then there's this altered state that exists and it ruins everything. Um, and eventually, you know, it ruins the family, depending on how how deep it is. Um, and so the warriors in the village will chew, uh, it's not coca leaf, but it is something very similar, and Tart. it's definitely, it's called, um, they call it mira, mm-hmm. M-I-R-A-A. And it's just, they just take these bundles of green leaves. They get a lot of it from um, Somalia and Ethiopia, and then they, um, and also the southern part of Kenya. And so then they just chew it, and you can see pretty quickly after they start chewing, it an altered state, and the eyes get a little red, and their senses are heightened. And they often will will chew it for these walking safaris because mm. they are more alert, mm. even more alert. Um, and so we're walking across you know we have this 3 day pilgrimage basically to the village and they start chewing it my lover starts chewing it and i go into this panic attack because it's a substance he's starting to alter and this is this man that i've just hung up every ideal on you know mm. this is this is this is a miracle and so then i he witnesses my distress and then I, I I try to bridge the conversation and I just start talking to him about this thing, like why are you chewing this thing? And, and before I could even get to the point, he just looks at me and he says, uh, I understand, Micah, your father drank, it changed him, I chew this, it changes me, so guess what, I'm done chewing it. And there was something so basically masculine in that moment to me. <clears throat> and, and, and I've had this conversation, I like this one in particular, because a lot of guys will say, but nobody's placating you. That's not masculine or whatever. But it isn't actually that, because he wasn't attached. This thing didn't identify him. He knew who he was. And he didn't, we didn't have time, and he actually says this, we don't have time for these kind of petty problems between us. So let's just remove... The thing, and and what was formed in that moment was this extreme intimacy, because then I felt seen, I felt totally understood, and I felt honored. And then I wanted to share everything with him because it was it was so easy. There was no weird conflict. Um, and then you know, a couple of days later, we're walking and there's lions again, and I and I say to him maybe, maybe you should actually chew that leaf. <laughs> you know? Maybe now would be a good time. A
0: little more alert. Right. Yeah. And,
1: but I love that whole, the metaphor in there is that that thing that we think is the problem, it's not the problem. And actually we're okay with it once we've felt that security or that
0: and he demonstrated to you that he had a healthy relationship with the substance.
1: That's it. The substance can go away. Um, anything that is causing too much of a problem between us. Now, I'm not going to ask him to stop eating meat or something like that. You know, their, their diet is meat, milk, and blood. So. Yeah that would be an impossibility and that would be something that he would definitely not do but this thing there was no attachment it caused an issue he didn't need to be changed in that way and so it went away right. and there was something so protective in that moment that right. really opened up um, avenues between us for right. the rest of the, the time um, countless of those kind of examples and the love of the feminine they're a very um, feminine, revering culture, even though they are polygamists. Or, I mean, and I don't need to juxtapose those, but you know that would be a common mm. Western projection,
0: right? That they disrespect women, right? By because, not yeah. being the way we think they should be, right? Right? Yeah. What happens to the men who who don't have wives?
1: I don't know that I met any.
0: So where are they?
1: They probably leave. Or the one thing I did find is if they were considering themselves homosexual, then they would, they would leave the village.
2: And go where?
1: Sometimes to the cities, huh. wherever they could feel more accepted or, you know. So that was one thing that I saw that, um, where I could kind of ask a deeper question about it, but in terms of men without wives, if their wives died, they would take another wife. Um, if, for instance, in my case, um, if my lover had died, then they would, then his brothers would adopt me as their wife. So I would just kind of be
0: shared among the brothers.
1: One, one in particular oh, one would, yeah, would yeah. You.
0: Okay. And, the one with you know the most resources, right? And would he otherwise have to agree to that, or is that just something he could do unilaterally?
1: You know, I mean, if the man is smart, then he brings the potential women together and always honors his first wife. You know, this kind of, there's a there's a natural awareness of that. Um, but certainly there are the you know the idiots that just mm. don't really. Want to make for this peaceful relationship, and and it was it was really um, a good stretch in my mind because at one point I was asked to become a second wife very seriously, and the wife was the one doing the asking right. and saying, you know, we could raise children together and
0: right, yeah, yeah. I know in some societies uh, the first wife really wields the power Mm -hmm. she has to agree to whatever Mm -hmm. he wants to do yeah
1: I think traditionally speaking that's how it is but I just it's shifting so quickly you Mm -hmm. know the 20 whatever terrible with dates and times but probably the 25 years that I've known them um with the increasing um Uh, infiltration, if that's the wrong word, I'm sorry, of um, missionary work and, you know, Christianity and the then shame has slowly been introduced to the people.
0: Unbelievable, that's, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's what we do best.
1: Yeah, put some clothes Explore on. <laughs> shame. Yeah. Um but the but it's really wonderful um in the book that i get to explore that because i get to watch it in me mm. you know where i'm shameful and mm. then how he undoes that mm. another beautiful quality i think of of masculine that mm. light that says no yeah there's no darkness here that right. you need to hide or
0: right yeah it's funny the the part of the parts of herself that a woman, and I mean this both physically and and psychologically and emotionally, I guess, but the parts of herself that Women often feel the most compelled to hide are the parts that are most attractive.
3: <laughs> sure, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the parts it's we the most perfect balance. See, that's you know? It
1: <laughs> keeps you, keeps you coming, <laughs> so
0: to speak. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so you met. How did you meet this guy?
1: Well, we met on the. Uh, okay, so remember the crocodile area? Yeah. So that was my first. Sighting of um, these pastoral peoples and a few different tribes converge there because it's a relief food Mm -hmm. Station so Mm. how my girlfriend and I decided that that's where we wanted to be where the people are relief food dependent There's no hotels like this is not the Mecca for tourism and yet we stowed away on a um, relief food Lori trucking the supplies there mm. and we hid in the back. No kidding. Yes. So unbeknownst
0: to the drivers. Well,
1: no, no, we, we paid that guy ah. and, and that was OK. But um, unbeknownst to the Kenyan government, who was saying, do not go this, you know, further north because there are Somali bandits and they'll kidnap you. And and, and we don't have resources to feed and water. You
0: Basically, that would have sucked. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Al-Shabaab and those <laughs> folks are not hospitable.
1: Not to be, no.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Um, again, mustering ignorance, you know. It's, yeah. a, it's a real thing. <laughs> you have to muster just enough to do these really Don't insane try things.
0: try this at home,
1: right. kids. So that was my first sighting and um, just fell in love with the culture. And, and, and uh, although very, very briefly, another warrior man and he kind of was the the road in where I learned enough of the language and enough of the custom and had enough curiosity and desire that then after the guerrillas, Uganda, Tanzania, we came back through Kenya and we were on the coast um, on the Indian Ocean and lo and behold there are these nomads walking toward us on the beach and I say to Koss what are they doing here? Like they can't Mm. shepherd and they're on the ocean. They don't eat fish. They don't even like the smell of fish. What's going on? So, um, in a really uh, brash, or is it rash or brash?
0: I think they both work. They both work, kind of, right?
1: In one of those moments, I shout across to them in their language and I'm showing off that I can greet them and...
0: So you could tell just by their clothes? Yes, and, uh,
1: yeah. That they were a, either Maasai uh, or oh, the okay, Samburu, right? So I right. wasn't sure, but the language is, is, is enough. And so I do this and they just stop dead, like...
0: <laughs> what just happened?
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. How do you know that? How do you know it so well? And, you know, should we even give you the time of day? There was a lot of that kind of in that moment. And then they came over and they started speaking with us. And then um, my lover was one of the very first uh, children mandated to go to school by the Kenyan government. And they, so they went to all of their nomadic tribes, all of their agricultural people, and said, one child from every home has to go to school. Mm. And it was 1988 or 89. And so then um, he was chosen to go to school, and the reason this is quite beautiful—that his father chose him—is because he felt that my lover was strong enough in his cultural identity that he wouldn't lose his ways,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that he would find his way back to them. Because mm-hmm. they were fully aware that you go to school, and there's the homogenization, and you lose your vernacular, and your custom, and mm-hmm. your dress, and your let la- you know your name. Um, and so they sent him, and he protested. But anyway, because he was sent, he could speak. English, Kiswahili, and mm. so we could converse. Mm. And, and that was it. It, was, it just happened that quickly.
0: What happened that quickly?
1: I actually had sex with him the first night. Oh. If you want to talk about the elephant. <laughs> you brought it up. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it was that, and it was that abandonment of, like, all the sound chorus in your life that talks to you about AIDS, or babies, or it didn't matter. Mm. I just really loved him. Mm. Um,
0: You loved him within hours of meeting him.
1: I mean what you can love within Mm. hours. You know, it's not an intellectual love. It's Mm. that pure chemical but yet soulful magic Mm. that happens.
0: And what did your friend think about this? Was she warning you to slow down? No,
1: she was all in, which is why we're still great friends because she just costs... um, Kossia, uh Kass for short her whole thing is why not <laughs>
0: hmm. did she hook up with yeah. someone else yeah. right. Okay. you guys
3: oh, right. it's so different <laughs> I
0: mean traveling as a woman as you, you alluded to it earlier is so different than traveling as a guy I mean these days I don't know with dating apps and all this shit who knows but Back in the day when, when I was doing it, yeah. I literally was, it was like taking a vow of chastity. Yeah. Like, I'm going to travel for a year. That means yeah. I'm not going to get laid right. for a year.
1: Right, for a year.
0: Because even women I would meet traveling, <clears throat> either they were traveling with boyfriends,
1: Yeah.
0: or... It was two women together and they had vowed no matter what that they would stay together Mm -hmm. and not let any man, you know. And I understand that because you don't want to be in India and suddenly your girlfriend's peeling off to go be with some guy. And your trip's different. Your trip's over (laughs) for a lot of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were exceptions, but few and far between. Um, But as a woman, you just pick and choose Go where you want with whomever you want. It's but Africa nice. too, like
1: you said, it's very. I mean, because I've traveled since, obviously, to different places, and it's never happened again, like yeah. that. Um, and well, nomads yeah. are very sexual, and they're very well,
0: open. Most most people are very sexual, except us. <laughs> <laughs> We're the prudes, you know. I mean, if I actually if I'd traveled in Africa, it probably would have been quite different. My wife is from Africa. Oh,
3: okay, and, and cool. So
0: I have a. I haven't spent as much time there as you but i have uh you know through her yeah. an understanding of some of the cultures in africa and um yeah i mean in cultures that don't have this shame that we all grow up with sex is there's a great book called uh my secret history by paul theroux mm-hmm. he's a travel writer mm-hmm. and he was uh it's a memoir of when he was a Peace Corps volunteer mm. in the 60s mm. in Rwanda I think or Burundi and he was teaching English and I remember he's telling the story of how he's walking to the village like once a week he had to walk to the village to get supplies and just a footpath and and shortly after he arrived he's walking in the village and and an African woman came a young woman came along and she looked at him and smiled at him and he smiled and they you know said hello and she took him by the hand and just led him into the bushes and fucked him and then said bye and walked away and he was like lucky paul what the hell just happened
1: <laughs> you've been trying to contact <laughs> him that? since
2: <laughs>
0: like, hey, you have know that girl's number <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, and he he goes into this whole thing because he was raised in Boston, an Irish Catholic, right. and guilt, and right. the, you know, the priests abusing him, and all that fucked up, convoluted, weird, dark, yeah. guilt ridden sex. And then suddenly here he is, like having no strings attached, no guilt, no shame, sex right. with a beautiful girl
2: yeah.
0: in midday, and then she, you know, smiles and. Never kissed them. There was no kissing, and just like okay, bye, yeah. you know. And and he said it was like a handshake, right. and as simple and pure and clean and right. friendly and as brief. a handshake.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, my first editor for this book, um, I chose her on the off the internet, and she'd written several books herself. She's been an editor for thirty years. Um, I sent her a sample. It was great what she did with it. And she got to page 176 after I hired her and wrote me verbatim this. I can no longer work with you. Your reckless sex in disease-riddled countries is sub-God standards. What? And... Then when I didn't respond right away, sub
0: God God? isn't everything. Sub God (laughs) standards.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Where's your God? (laughs) Jeez. Um, But yeah, (laughs) and 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 so there was a you know I, I literally giggled out loud because there's a nervous reaction. Like, oh my God, this is the first person to have read that far into the book, and this is their, I'm getting fired by an editor. Is it really that bad? I suddenly felt like, is this Fifty Shades of Grey, Africa style, or, you know, what's going on here? Yeah. And then and then I had a girlfriend who said, you know, the real beauty about you, Micah, is you push buttons, but you don't even know you're doing it. Mm. Just because you live with a certain amount of freedom. And I'm, I'm constantly... Trying to erode that conditioning down to get to what feels more true. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it was really an experience to have that. And she said, why don't you just go deeper into it then? Don't, don't, don't pussyfoot because of this editor. Don't edit. Right. Go deeper. And I took her up on that and just got, again, truer to the experience and what I felt. And there's one line in the book that says, I was just fucked by a lion. Mm. (laughs) And, get this, two of my favorite readers so far that have contacted me, each have read the book twice, are people of the Catholic faith in their 70s from the Midwest that could have been offended every which way Mm. and somehow chose not to. And they, they um, remain a a marvel to me.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful thing when someone can, uh, decides to, there's a, there's a beautiful vulnerability in that, you know, of, of like, I, the experience you're describing is alien and threatening to me, but thank you. Right. You know, there's, right. there's, there's a beauty to that. Yeah. yeah. And
1: that they wanted to actually meet me and we had coffee together. Oh, really? Like, yes. Yeah. So then yeah. finally I just asked them, how does it feel that my experience of God as per this book is very different than yours and the one that you're even espousing and cause they, they have done some missionary work mm. and their simple answer, which was exactly that simple. And and I really understand it, is, um, well, that was your experience. Right. Okay, true.
0: Right. It's interesting. I'm on a roll right now of having people on the podcast who have written extremely sexually revealing books. Just yesterday. Something's up, huh? Yeah, I guess. I I think culturally something's Mm -hmm. happening. Uh, Yesterday I, I was hanging out with a guy... Named Jude Angelini, I think his name is. He wrote a book called *Hyena*. Is his first book, mm. and *Hummingbird* is mm. the second book that just came out. Um, very, very um, frank and clear and uh, revealing uh, about sexuality. And then um, another friend of mine is just publishing a book called *Slut Ever*. That's cute. Carly Schiortino, I think her name is Carly Schiortino. Yeah, so I, I do think it's a cultural moment where we're sort of moving beyond some of the guilt, maybe. And so there are people like you who are pushing the limits and, you know, the sort of first, first ones over the wall, hopefully.
1: Well, <clears throat> when I was writing it, because it's my first and... And it's memoir, and it's, um... And I, you know, all my family are still living, and, and Kass is, you know, so I just had all of these places where I could censor. And... Yeah. And I, I, would, I would bump up against these, um... these very vulnerable places, and I would I would just, you know, highlight the paragraph and take it out and link the, the two ends and feel much better. Mm. And then with the meditation practice and with, with this, this knowledge of, of how shame works, um, thank God, I'd ask myself, well, why do you feel better? Because I, I feel ashamed of that paragraph. Well, then put it back in. Yeah. And I just use that as a governing principle. And I think it's artfully done. It's not, it's, which was really interesting that the first editor responded in such a way that she did because um, this is not like African erotica. I mean, it's just not not written like that. My love affair was not an experience of that. Um, But there are some really interesting things like when we first arrive in the village and I haven't even been aware enough to pose the question to myself, where are we going to sleep and how will we make love? Um, And then I realize, oh, with his mother and his sister right here, um, you know, once in a while my foot would push off of his moms (laughs) while you were
0: having sex (laughs) and she's pretending not to hear or
1: yeah or it's not even a pretend right because it's just it's she did create i mean she was obviously curious i'm the first nalangu which is um not the word for white but the word for uh, a woman who has come uh, you know from very far away and, and across a big body of water mm. we don't even know exactly where that is or what it 's called, but we know that it exists mm. and she's come from there and so this first nalangu that arrives to the village I mean we're creating quite the stir, Ka and I I'll bet. Um, but at the same time, I guess their basic humanity was just that that was kind of our business, and this is this is village life mm. It was really wonderful. I mean, what it took for me to be able to orgasm in that setting.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know? a lot of focus. <laughs> yeah, had some help, though. You're being fucked by a lion, after all. <laughs> Maybe that's what it takes. So, um, all right, we, we'll talk about this as explicitly as you want. I don't, I don't want to lead you further than you want to go, but it sounds like you're pretty relaxed about it the sex in the this is in a hut
1: yeah in a hut was
0: was there a sex happening by the fire
1: so the fire is in the hut oh okay yeah so there's always a in their culture there's always a fire kept and the 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 woman of the house keeps the fire mm. and most of the time it's um you know unless they're cooking it's just it's embers right Um, But it's always going. So there's not a
0: central village fire that everyone.
1: There are those as well, but this is each home has their fire. Yeah. So
0: people have sex in their huts. They're not.
1: Yeah, but also in the bush. So after a dance, Mm -hmm. um, when the dance ends, which no one knows exactly when that's going to be, but when it does, then definitely couples go off into the bush for rapturous lovemaking and. um,
0: Are they quiet, or can you hear them?
1: I heard, well, okay, village is not quiet very often. It because of the the goats, they get corralled in, or the camels. Camels are loud, yeah. and so everything makes a lot of noise. Um, and plus, it's windy, and mm. wind through the the hut walls mm. um, is is a pretty you know, f- it's a pretty big force, and. So I think it's obscured, but I don't, they're not, they're not, uh, like us.
0: Screamers. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Well, the reason I I ask, hope
1: that's okay. I
3: included you in that. I said us. I, you mean white
0: people. <laughs> Well, well there's, I mean, this, Westerners. there's this whole thing in in Sex at Dawn about female copulatory vocalization, right right, right? right? Right. So I was wondering. I'm trying to like yeah. get some anthropological information here, right? Um, if the, or so you say, if the women make more noise than the men, <laughs> um, but I'm also thinking, you know, there are there are predators around. You're you're in the dark. You're away from the fire. Yeah. The goats are attracting lions and hyenas and stuff. Probably,
1: yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. No, there's yeah. It could
0: be kind of a dangerous thing to wander off into the bushes. Yeah,
1: and like you say, no kissing. Yeah. Um, although I did teach my lover how to do that, and he quite liked it. And
0: what about oral sex?
1: I, we never did. Um, but more from just like there isn't a preponderance of water.
0: Right. Right. From what I know, oral sex is quite rare mm-hmm. outside of western or you know, industrial society. <laughs>
1: Do you know what I just learned the other day? What's that? You're going to have to edit this out by the way. <laughs> I just <laughs> well, I've been well, then I should I'm i just, just stop teasing. It. I'm just teasing oh, no? you. I, yeah, I know it's funny. Cuz I
0: don't want to forget it. No, then, no, oh, no. My no. God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just learned the other day cuz I I you know shortbread like shortbread cookies? Yeah. So I don't know why, but I've always called them pecan sandies.
0: Yeah, there were cookies called right. pecan okay, sandies. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, thank yeah, you. Because I didn't
1: know where, why I decided that pecan sandies was my name ubiquitously for shortbread. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it has I been...
0: that.
1: Right. And then there's it's a sexual thing.
0: Pecan sandy? Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> or it's really
1: disgusting. <laughs> pecan sandy is like... You have to look it up to be sure mm. or ask your listeners to. Yeah, but they're it's looking like,
0: it up right now right, in you, some you, other dimension.
1: Right, right exactly.
0: <laughs> In the future. <laughs> it's, we're like Walt Whitman.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is for posterity's sake, folks. That's right. But it's something about, you know, like defecating on one testicle and, and then, yeah.
0: Defecating on your own testicle <laughs> no, or someone no, else? No, no, someone the woman... No. De-
1: I am so on grateful testicle? to be able
0: to, to share that?
1: with you. And that's the called sex a dawn. pecan sandy. Yes.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: So that has forever changed my uh-huh. relationship to shortbread.
0: I guess. Well, how would you t- shit on one <laughs> testicle? I mean, it's sort of an all-or-nothing proposition, as far as I can tell. <laughs> oh boy
1: you went further you went further into the questioning than i could have i mean once i heard that i was like, okay that's enough yeah, yeah don't know why why that has to be yeah but anyway Anywho. um <laughs> why did i bring that up because that was not happening
0: uh no, in because. the village <laughs> no. so no anal sex either is no. what you're saying no so it's pretty much you know straight up yeah. missionary or could you oh, no, get,
1: it could be no different postures for oh, that's sure. Good. Yeah, positions.
0: Positions. Postures. postures yoga. That's a yoga teacher. So <laughs> we're going to do downward see, dog now. Your glutes
1: are actually <laughs> mounded. That's and, right.
0: Just breathe into it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So um, you know, it's it's an interesting. I've, I've obviously I think about sex a lot, and I think about anthropology a lot. So. I think a lot you know i've over the years of doing this research i've really wanted to talk to some anthropologists who have had sex mm. with their you know the people they're studying yeah and the thing is it's prohibited
2: right
0: it's a big no-no right but it happens all the time yeah. you know you're living with these people they're they almost always are very kind beautiful generous wonderful people and
1: there's a fascination. Yeah, well,
0: fascination. You, you know, you come to love them. They're, they're, they love you. Their view of sexuality is generally far more relaxed and open and, you know, sort of inconsequential in, in a sense. Um, but there are very few examples of anyone admitting to that and mm. writing about it. Mm. One, one uh, exception is... An anthropologist named Kenneth Good, who lived with the Yanomami in Venezuela, mm. and he fell in love with a girl and actually brought her home mm. to Philadelphia. Can you imagine growing up in the Amazon no. basin? No. <laughs> you find yourself in, in fucking Philly. Philadelphia. Mm-mm. She couldn't handle it. Of course.
1: She, she that was the back. beginning of the end. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I uh, but mean... But he wrote
0: a book called Into the Heart about oh. that experience, if anyone wants to check that out. It's a beautiful book.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's you know, it, it's been really lovely, the, the reception um, and the reviews that my book has received thus far. Say the title again? Keepers of the Story.
0: Keepers of the Story.
1: Yeah, and that's right. really illuminating the, <clears throat> the people who live in balance with the earth that live without shame, that um, live with uh, an animistic view of the divine, which is in rocks and trees and wherever wherever you're connected, there you are. Um, they I felt like they were just so uh, humane. There was a basic humaneness um, yeah. to them right. that received me so deeply and I, Um, for all intents and purposes, could have been very threatening for so many reasons, Mm. you know. Um, And so there's an eternal quality to the book where I've kind of punctuated those beginning segments of mind with excerpts like flash-forwards from the time with my lover Mm. because that's really how I feel like we are in this relationship now is that... Um, we're still in relationship, and because he shifted for me everything um, about the way that I saw myself, my culture made it really, really hard to come home mm. um, tragically so where you're you know you're already at an awkward age twenty one now trying to navigate boulder beautiful boulder
0: that 's where you went to college
1: no black people boulder yeah, you know very um, Soul searching boulder, mm. and I was waiting tables, and I was pregnant, and so with it's him. with him. Yeah,
0: did you know when you left?
1: No, but his soothsayer mom did, and so that was kind of a fascinating story, too. About how
0: is this your mom, the, witch the one doctor? that I still see? Yes, uh-huh. the
1: one that I still see there. Yeah,
0: uh-huh. yeah, so without. Ruining the story or getting too personal. Are you still in touch with him?
1: Yeah Yeah, still him and his family and Uh um, and that's a That's a beauty of the story is that uh, so 16 years later when I have married I um, Created these yoga studios with my sister.
0: Did you have the baby?
1: No, and that should probably be read that section okay. um but um when i did return to try and find them how they received me again was really oh such a wonderful thing
0: and how, how much 16 years 16 later?
1: years later really yeah wow yeah it was so you know there's just this um I just feel like, wow, how, how grateful. Is
0: that in the book?
1: Yeah. Okay. So, the, yeah, the book spans really the period of, let's see, 1993 to um, about 2008. So it's a big time span and and just the reason that I started teaching yoga and practicing yoga is I had to have some way of um, approximating the spirituality that I felt just inherently with them mm. that i couldn 't have i wouldn 't have even have called it spiritual at that point. it was just simply the way that they live. Mm. Um, but when I came home, it was so lacking for me and i couldn 't find it and until I started practicing yoga and just the linking of the body mind into a present state mm. gave me some semblance of that back
2: mm.
1: and 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 was able to help me heal. Um, that disparity that I felt between my culture and his. And yeah, so that's really, that, I guess that, that's kind of the book and that's the story that I invite people to keep. On the back of the book I just speak about um, this relationship that we can develop to ancestors. And if, if they're not necessarily our ancestors, what about the story keeping ancestors? Because we all have those way back around fires somewhere yeah. and you know story to me is everything and by the way I was able to give a copy of the book to Stephen Jenkinson Mm. which felt so the way he received it was so kind Mm.
0: that's great
1: yeah very sweet I hope he reads it and I hope he likes it
0: well I'm certainly looking forward to reading it
1: yeah yeah yeah, I hope you do and I hope you um, will stay in touch and let me know what you what you think and also if you have questions well, because it's I probably going
0: to fall under my godlike standards. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I try to always stay yeah. godlike.
1: at least you've been forewarned, you know. <laughs> so you can, if you decide to dip down...
0: I think my god probably has a different relationship to casual sex than, than your editor's <laughs> god.
1: Yeah, well, the best thing about the editor story, and you'll appreciate this as a writer, but the first editor that I... Went for was above my my pay grade for sure, mm. and I was, but I really wanted her, and I and I and I also felt like this is good work, and I sent it to her, and she wrote back uh, very succinctly and said um, two things: you can't afford me because you haven't even started this process, and I'd been working on it at that point for five years. Mm. So I thought, oh no, well then I can't do this. I just folded it up put it in a drawer and forgot about it until it haunts me maybe eight months later and then i pulled it out and i started working on it again and then i chickened out and sent it to the editor that i got fired from and when she fired me i thought okay well maybe i'll risk it and i'll send it back to barb and i sent it back to barb and um And she said, congratulations, you're ready now. Mm. And so we worked together, and it took all of about maybe two months. Mm. It was a very diligent process right through the election, which was kind of intense, um, to watch your work take on a different role, right, um, and to question if it even has a significance. Mm. I mean, I certainly did. Um, and, and I also decided, because I went back, when I went back 16 years later, the family was really struggling with climate, and things were dying everywhere, and it was a totally different scene than, than before, and devastating for me to, to be part of, um, in, in both, con, you know, context of that word where, or concept where I'm, I'm actually helping destroy the planet, I know that as an American living. Um, and I'm also having to participate in it because I'm experiencing it with them. So th- those things were happening. I decided then and there, well, my book will be 100% recycled paper.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: <clears throat> and that's when I followed that path. I actually went with a traditional um, publication process. I got two edit or two agents. They were excited. They were New York-based. I was excited. I thought, this is it. And I said, okay, so where do I... Suggest that I want to do this less royalties fine, but I want to do this on a hundred percent recycled paper and they said That's not the author's prerogative Mm -hmm. And and you know, and they kind of laughed at me and and like you're gonna really give up representation Just so you can and I said well, yeah, there's just no other way
2: Mm.
1: You don't understand that I have to feel good about my first book Mm. And I have to feel good about it in how it's a representation of the people I've learned from and yeah, and their I'm glad climate. Glad you did
0: that. That's, yeah. that's great.
1: It feels really good. Yeah, and it's no more expensive. Or, I mean, it really. It's pretty cool. Mm. So you can push, because you have <laughs> a bestseller. I mean, it's something. Uh, you know.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. Well, it's we, hard. We, we can talk about yeah. this later. There's nothing more boring for people than listening to a couple of writers (laughs) whine about publishing. Okay,
3: okay, okay, okay.
0: (laughs) Hey, thanks for doing this. Thank you so much. The book is available on Amazon, I take it. Yep, on
1: Amazon, um, in bookstores. I've been doing a book tour. Um, Then go to my website for more information about publishing, about sustainable publishing, uh, MicahSpringer.com. Great.
0: Yeah,
1: thank you so much.
0: Thank you for hanging out. Uh, If you'd like to support the podcast and are financially able, go to patreon.com and search for Tangentially Speaking. You enter your credit card, tell them you want to give me a buck, five bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks, 200 bucks, and then they'll just automatically ding your credit card and you don't have to think about it again. Uh, If you don't have uh, the money to do that, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Tell your friends about the podcast. Write a review on iTunes or just enjoy the podcast. It doesn't matter. I want to thank Basin and Range for that intro music. The song's called Bright Side of the Sun. And you can check them out at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast, you can go to Reddit, where there are a few thousand people chatting about the podcast. Uh, I drop in and answer questions, post photos, uh, whatever. Pretty cool community there. Another forum where you can meet fellow listeners to this podcast is at T no, Sorry, tspeaking.boardhost.com. This has been set up by a listener to enable people to um, register and uh, their different states and countries. So you can find people who live near you, get together, have a beer, smoke a bowl, eat some mushrooms, dance under the moonlight. However, you celebrate these things, you'll find uh, like minded spirits on that. It's again, it's T speaking dot board host And uh, if you want to get some t-shirts, we have the Civilized to Death shirts, Sex at Dawn shirts, Tangentially Speaking shirts. They're all in my mom's garage. She will get them out to you in a jiffy. Julie, my mom, is one of the most efficient people you will ever meet. So you can find those on my website. That Chris Ryan, chrisryanphd.com, tangentiallyspeaking.com, whatever. You'll find them. Just look in the store there. If you want to buy some other t-shirts from the same manufacturer, that's Shore Design t shirts they are fantastic i know i say this is an ad free podcast uh and this could be construed as an ad but sure design t-shirts have been supporting this podcast since its inception bennett who was the dude there decided he was going to support the podcast he sent me a bunch of shirts uh at an extreme discount to uh, help us out since bennett died the people who took over sure t-shirts.com uh have decided to continue giving us the same deal that bennett gave us so be sure to use the discount code CTD as in civilized to death when you order anything from them and you'll get 20% two zero, 20% off your entire order. That's the discount code CTD and that's at suredesignt-shirts.com thank you to Carsey Blanton for the song you're about to hear you can check her out at carseyblanton.com she performed this little ditty especially for us sounds like she was sitting in her garage you can hear the birds chirping the song is called Smoke Alarm and it's a reminder to live now because you're going to die one day this is for you guys Bennett and Justin miss you
3: he said Baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you wanna feel Say what you wanna say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time?